0: as he moves it around the bottom. But his last drop of tea now collects the small dot next to it. And then the little drip next to it, it's what he's been focused on for the last 10 to 15 minutes, just rolling around in the bottom of his cup. He hasn't looked across at her. She is is sitting across from him at the table. Her arms are crossed. She's not indignant. It's not confrontational. It's just the amount of time that is passing. It's just more comfortable to sit like that than in another way. And she waits. She has said her piece. She's clearly stated her take on the situation, and she knows that the rest is up to her husband. And he methodically collects the little drops in the bottom of his cup with the larger one. And suddenly, a noise outside the door startles them both. They look toward the door and, and then at each other, and she takes the opportunity. Uh, she will pose the question, so are you going or not? And he stares back at the drop in the bottom of the cup, a shrug of his shoulders, I, I, I think I have to. So that's it, she says. Yeah, I think that's it. And what if it's a worst-case scenario? And with a wry little smile on his face, he looks back at her, always the more optimistic of the two. And what if it's not? What if it turns out to be a great day? And she gives that little frown as if they they both know that this day is not necessarily going to be a great day. It's my position, he says. Me not showing up makes a larger statement than me showing up. I need to be there. And with that last line, she understands what he's meaning. It's not just about their family. It's not just about their city. It is his national duty. It's the place and the role that he plays in their country, in their their society. And with that, he fills his lungs with the deep breath of air as if the journey is going to take something out of the man. And he walks to the door. He puts on his outer shawl around his shoulders, and he he girds them with his belt, and then the prayer shawl over his head. The moment he walks out that door, even though the city may not know his name, they know who he is. They know what he is. For he wears the garb, the, the traditional robe that everyone in his position wears. And as he walks through the street, there's a special honor given him. Crowds will part slightly. People will bow. It's a little nod. It's it's recognizing the decades of work that it took for him to get to this position. And on this day, he feels like it might all come to bear, and he needs to be there. The tension has been building over the last few days. The the city's at a fever pitch. It's It's a powder keg that's just waiting for that spark to ignite it. His wife has heard all that she needs to hear. From friends, from family, the stories from the countryside. She herself has sat in the crowd. She has heard words in red letters fall into her heart. She knows she has heard from the creator, not just another one of creation. And she worries about what this is going to mean for them in the city. He's like many who are a little undecided. For the last three years, they've heard stories of this miracle worker, this rabbi, this teacher, whatever title you want to use for him. Stories that the guy can walk on water, that he can calm storms, that he can raise the dead, that he can heal blind and and lepers and he's not quite sure where he puts his chips at this point but something's been building in his heart two weeks ago we watched the teacher ride into the city and the crowd cheer save now save now tired of roman rule and roman oppression they're thinking this may be the one that this little nation of israel has been waiting for is this our hero is this our redeemer is this our our savior but when he goes into their temple and he flips over the tables and the chairs, when he, when he starts teaching in the marketplace, it's different from what they were expecting. When the religious leaders bring questions to him, question after question, hoping to trap him. Say something wrong in the public square, Jesus, by which we can kill you, or something that will cause the Romans to put you to death. They'll do our dirty work for us. And yet he's gotten out of each one with the brilliance Of his answers who do you think you are do we pay taxes or don't we pay taxes a woman married seven men and they they all die when she gets to heaven whose wife is she going to be okay that little that last one was a little far-fetched but most of their questions and, and all of his answers were were brilliant and I'm sure that when our friend left home that day with the last hug and the kiss on the cheek from his wife it now turned personal. Just promise you'll be safe. If there's any danger, get out of the way. And little did he know, nor did she, that when he left home, that, that he would play a central role in part of the story. Little did he know that when he left home that morning, that 2,000 years later, we will read his question and his words. If you're just joining us, we're picking this up today in Mark chapter 12 with verse 28. You've only missed 40 weeks of this series so far, and you can always pick up the podcast online. And yet, if you're if you're joining us, you, you pick just the right time. We're looking at that week in history. And you've only missed two days of that week. And again, it's all online. That final week of Jesus's life, that final week where he said all these famous last words, that, that week that split time as we know it into, into B.C. And, and A.D., 2022 years to what? To him. The reason that there's a, a Christmas and the reason there's an Easter on our calendar is because of him. There's something powerful in that name and that name alone, and, and, and I've challenged you that you owe it to yourself to know this week in history and, and realize its impact even down to today. If you've ever seen a cross on a building, on stained glass or another work of art, if you've ever worn it as a piece of jewelry or had it tattooed on your body, who takes an instrument of torture, an instrument of death, and makes it the number one icon in the world? You owe it to yourself to know that week, because if he is who he claimed to be, and if his words are true, Every day of your life and your eternity will be defined by this week. So, yes, we've been going slow. We're going to continue going a little bit slowly here. But he's been giving brilliant answers, as I said, to the crowd. And and now our friend with the cup of tea has one to ask. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, you need to catch this question. You need to realize what he's asking. The the, 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 the teachers alone, they had like 613 commandments that they identified in the Old Testament, and he's asking, which one of those is the most important? Where should we focus our study? Where should, we, where should we focus our efforts? We've had Pharisees, we've had Sadducees, we've had people trying to trap Jesus and this guy's noticing Jesus's answers. They're brilliant, they're brilliant, they're brilliant and it's been building. I wonder if he could answer my question. Have you seen the size of it? It's got small print. I can't even read it without my glasses. It's got two columns on every page. There's, there's a lot in here. Can you boil it down for me? What am I missing? What in this Christian life? I hear this Christian life is supposed to be love and joy and peace and contentment. What am I missing? What is it, what does it boil down to? What's the most important? You know, I, I oftentimes think that I'm I'm going, you know, three steps forward and, and sometimes four or five steps back the next week. What am I missing? What's what's the one thing that I really need to hold on to? He's asked a question that I believe is in many hearts today, maybe even some of the the hearts in this room. Why doesn't my life look like, work like, operate like, the blueprint that says what it's supposed to look like? What am I missing? And folks, it's the only question that Jesus can't answer. What one thing must I do? And Jesus is going to tell him, I can't answer what one thing you must do. Oh, well, I'll give you the answer that you need, but it will not be the answer to your question. The most important answer, Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy here Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, but wait a minute, no, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. You see what he did? The man said, what one thing am I missing? And he said, I can't give you that. I have to give you two. I have to give you two things. I can't sum up what you're missing in one thing. And it goes back to geometry, uh, don't worry. I mean, we're not going to go far down this geom- geometry trail. There's a couple things I remember from geometry. And the first one is that the, is that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. I'm not sure what we're going to do with that today, but that's not what our focus is going to be. It's an axiom, okay? The, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. The second thing was this. How many lines can you draw through a given point, such as point O there on the left? How many lines can you draw through any given point? Infinite number. Wow, someone paid attention to geometry. An infinite number of lines you can draw through one point. If I give you one point, one point you can draw an infinite number of lines through it. How many lines can you draw through two points? Just one. You can only draw one line through two points. And Jesus, I guess the, the creator of geometry, understands this. I can't give you just one. If I tell you here's what you're missing, you've got to love God and you've got to love your neighbor. By taking two points, he gave us that true point. He gave us that path that we need to be on. There's one line here he's saying. And this is all that Jesus did. He said, look, with all the commands and with all the rules, let me give you the two things in your life that you need to line up. You need to line them up. Let me give you the definition, if you will, of what it means to follow me, what it means to to follow God, the definition, if you will, of Christianity. And I love the man's answer back to Jesus. Well said, teacher, the man replied. As if Jesus needs the man's encouragement and, and affirmation. Well said teacher you were right in saying that god is one and that there's no other but him to love him with all your heart with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices you need to understand the import to what this man is stating here in view of this sacrificial system that the Jews had built everything around, in view of why they are there that week for Passover. He says, even more important than those couple hundred thousand lambs that are going to be sacrificed this week here in, in, in Jerusalem, this is more important than that. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God and from then on no one dared to ask him any more questions well said teacher you were right that there is one God there's a creator behind creation there's a designer behind the design that we see here on earth which means folks you are not an accident you have a purpose which means that you can be part of something that is much bigger than you you can have significance There is life after this. You can be sure of that. That's what we looked at last week. We talked about the resurrection. And there's one God. And like it or not, He is God. He is God. You can choose not to buy that. That's what this week is all about. He will prove He's the one God at Easter. Now, love that God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and all of your strength. You're right, teacher. And to love your neighbor as yourself, there's, there's nothing more important. And Jesus says, congratulations, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But you're not in it. You may have it here. You may have it in your mind right now. But what about your heart? What about your soul? What about your strength? You're not far. You're only about 12, 14 inches away from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And that's what we're going to look at today. How do you define that? What does it mean to love God and to love others? You see, we cannot walk out of here and come up with our own line, with our own definition. And that's why I've titled Your Life Notes at the top. If God is love, doesn't he get to define it? And if Christianity, Christianity, based on Christ, if it's based on him, doesn't he to tell us what Christianity looks like? And so let's look at God's definition for the rest of our time this morning. What, what Jesus said about what, what does it mean to love God and to love others? Otherwise, we could all walk out of here with our own definition of what that looks like, what that means. And you could say, well, I love others. Well, I love others. You know, everybody loves others. It's kumbaya. You know, what the world needs now is love. By whose definition? Who gets to define it? Well, by mine. I'm sorry. But it's not your definition or my definition that counts. You see, it's, it's a couple nights after this in a place that we refer to as the upper room. Famous last words. It's the last night before Jesus is arrested. It's that last supper, if you will, where Jesus sits down and he wants to make things crystal clear to his followers. This is what loving God and loving others looks like. It's a God that loves you too much to give you some vague, some amorphous uh, definition or description. He's going to make it incredibly clear. Here's what it looks like. Christ gets to define Christianity. He makes it clear, and only John records it. So we're going to leave Mark, and we're going to go to John chapter 14 and one chapter after that. John writes the story of Jesus very different. It's very different uh, than, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke who just talk about his teachings and his miracles. And John's book is incredibly different. Why? Well, partly probably because he's like, if you will, the last of the Mohicans, so to say. And he's writing 30 or 40 years later, all the other apostles have have been martyred, have been killed. And he sees just 50 years after the empty tomb that, that the first century church is already starting to define things the way they want to define them. Yeah, they're saying, "Oh, I love God and I love people," and then here's what, here's and here's who Jesus was, and all this. And he's saying, "No, no, 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 you can't do that." Jesus taught specifically what loving God and loving others looks like, and so John will fill in the gaps when others talk about going to the room and and having supper, and then going out to the garden where Jesus is arrested. John will write three chapters in his gospel about what happened that night in that room around that table. And he will immediately he'll, he'll say, hey, we were all thinking about death. Our leader told us three times that he was going to die within the city. And with what's been happening in the temple courts, everyone is on edge. And that night in that room, when their thoughts were about death, they all pledged, hey, Jesus, we'll die with you. We will not abandon you. We're going go to go the full way with you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. It's not necessary. And Peter pops up and, Lord, I'll be the first to die with you. And Jesus is like, Peter... Before the, before the rooster crows in the morning. You're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. I appreciate the sentiment, though. Just telling you. And in John 14, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God the Father. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there's, there's many rooms, many, many mansions. It's translated in the King James. If this were not so, I wouldn't be telling you it. And I'm going to go. And prepare a place for you, so that I may bring you to where I am. You can be there also. And the disciples are sitting there scratching their heads. What in the world do you mean? You're going to heaven? Well, we don't, wait a minute. We, we, you know, we don't know how, to tell, tell us about heaven, Jesus. And in John 14, verse 6, Jesus makes the most audacious claim in all of human history. He says, I am the way to heaven. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one that doesn't leave room for any, anybody else, right? No one comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through me. No other belief no other religion, no other philosophy. He goes, no one now look if I can't back this up with the empty tomb in three days, just disregard it but if I can, then you've just heard from God. And the disciples are wrestling with, what does this mean? What, what does it look like that, that you're the truth? What, what does it look like to, to follow you? And he starts answering the question in, in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will obey my command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. If you love me, you will obey what I'm telling you. If you're not going to obey me, then obviously you don't love me. And when you love me and I I go to the Father, we will send you the Spirit of of truth, a counselor, the the, the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to imagine being one of those guys there in the upper room. Wait a second. Wait a minute. Let Let me get this straight. You're leaving. You're dying. You're going to heaven. You're telling us how to get there. And you're going to send us a ghost. We didn't see that coming. We thought you were going to kick some Roman butt and maybe set up a castle, or a, a big headquarters somewhere. And, and we're, we're getting a ghost called the Holy Spirit. They're trying to figure this out. Can you, can you imagine hearing that for the first time? Well, how do we? And Jesus is like like, just, just listen, just listen. He continues in verse 21. He says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will show myself to him. Then John tells us that Judas, and he puts in parentheses, not Judas Iscariot, Judas said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? He misunderstood here. Jesus, this is where Jesus said, this is not just for you guys, okay? This is for other people too. Jesus replied, he says, if anyone, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Do you get it? If you love me, you'll obey my teaching. If you go, oh yeah, I love God, but you're not obeying me, he says, then you don't love me. You love the thought of loving me, or you may like you may love the thought of loving God, but you gotta obey me. He's like, look, and if Rome comes in here inside this crowded city, there's gonna be a riot. They're gonna burn down Jerusalem. Let's go to the garden where I can be taken apart from apart from all this this, this crowd and stuff. No one else needs to go down with me. And I and I wonder if it, as he, as he got up to depart to go out to the garden, I wonder when he got if when he got to the door and turned around if the disciples are all still there. You know, kind of you know. Scratching their heads saying, we don't understand how this works. And he goes, well, I've been with you guys for three years. When we follow you, we follow you. Now, now you're going, well, we cannot go. And he's like, man, why did I pick fishermen? <laughs> if you're waiting to fill in some blanks on your life notes, trust me, you're going to get there in a minute. But we have to understand this first in chapter 15 of John. He goes, uh, what if I tell you guys a story? Yeah, let's, let's hear a story. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In verse 9, he continues and says, As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now, you ready to go to the garden? Knowing, knowing that when the guards came, the disciples we're going to posture at first. Peter's going to cut off one of the guy's ears. Knowing that when Rome shows up, its force and its swords will come out of the sheaths and the disciples will end up running. Knowing that, that the Jesus himself is the only one who's going to be taken and, and they'll, they'll let the disciples get away. And somewhere in the dark, somewhere in the night, running for their life somewhere, they'll realize that the torches aren't coming after them. And somewhere behind a tree or, or, or a log or some boulder, they'll, they'll stop to catch their breath. And they'll fall into a pit of shame and failure that few in human history have ever swam in. I just deserted Jesus. And he wants one word. He wants one word echoing in their heads. I hope you caught it 11 times in 12 verses. One word, all you have to do is remain. Remain, 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 Or 11 times, 12 verses. If you remain, your joy will be complete. Christianity will work. Well, well, how do I remain? I just told you four times. Obey my word. Obey me. You obey my teaching just as I obeyed the Father's commands. Just as I remained in him You obey my commands, you remain in me. Apart from me, you can't do anything. With me, you will bear much fruit. Your life will work, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And that is why, folks, religion is dead. That is why our scribe answered, well said, teacher. To love God and love others is better than all the burnt offerings, all the sacrifices. That's religion, that's that's religious duties. That's religious activities. Religion, religion says that you can be right enough. You can do enough work to, to be good enough. The Bible says you can never be good enough. You're never right enough. You can't earn it. And that's the beauty of the good news, the gospel. We don't have to work to earn it. Jesus never ca- came and said, here's how you make your life better. Just, you know, follow this, this checklist, like these self-help books that you can get at Barnes & Noble. If that was what all this was about, he would have just left us, left us a book and, and he would have taught for 40 or 50 years, died of old age, and, but that, he didn't. He came and he went to the cross and he says, you need the cross, I need the cross. We don't need better, we can't get better. We need healing, we need an exchange. You can't do this on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And John writes, he defined loving God, He defined loving others. We don't get to. Now let's jump back into your life notes there, so you can fill in one of those blanks. If God is love, doesn't He get to define it? Yes. First off, what love is not? Loving God is not about what we feel. Sorry, loving God is not about what we feel. Jesus never grabbed the crowds and said, "I want you guys, when you think of Me, to get really warm and fuzzy." You, you, you know, I want you guys, when when you think really hard, maybe sing about Me, you get a little tear in your in your eye. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what it's about. He never said, I want you guys to feel really good thoughts about me. He never once told a crowd to feel something about him. He never walked around saying, do you feel it yet? Do you feel good? Never once. What was his call? His call was, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to get over yourself. You can't get better. You can't fix it. You can't earn it. I've come to do it for you. I've come to pay the price for it. You have to deny yourself, and you have to pick up your cross. Don't necessarily know that that's going to look the same for you as it looks like for you, but you have to pick up your individual cross and follow me. Live like I live. Love the Father. Love other people. There's going to be some sacrifices involved because you're no longer in charge. I've got the pink slip to your life, and you're going to have to be born again. I don't care how you were born. I don't care what you were born into. All of you need to be born again, he says. That's the call. It's not about feelings. Here's what loving God is not loving God is not about what we believe. You may wait a minute. Well, let me explain it. He never sat in front of a crowd and said, well, just believe that I'm God. If that was his point to get people to believe that he was God, he probably would have done a whole lot of more spectacular miracles. In fact, probably very little teaching and a bunch of miracles. It would have been like a sideshow to prove that he was God. But we've pointed out from the beginning of Mark, he came to teach. Yes, some people remember back 40 some weeks ago. He came to teach. He did compassion miracles because he loved people and he saw the brokenness of our heart and the brokenness of our humanity, but he did do miracles just to get people to believe that he was God. It wasn't, it's not about just a mental ascent, you know, okay, I've checked that mark, my God up here, you know, I, I believe that Jesus is God. James 2 breaks it down brilliantly. James, the brother of Jesus says, well, well, you say that you have belief because of what? Because of what you believe about Jesus, that that's your salvation? I encourage you to go back and read James chapter 2 this week. Some people say, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to earth and he did miracles and he taught and I believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins and I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And James would go, so, that's your belief? He says, you do realize that the demons believe everything that uh, that you just said. In fact, they were there. They have a greater belief in God, trust me, than than you do. The demons know who Jesus is. They saw him come to earth. They understood Bethlehem. The demons saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. The demons know he died on the cross for your sins, and the demons know that he rose from the dead. Please tell me your Christianity is better than that. If that's what it takes to be a Christian, then heaven's going to be a lot bigger than we thought because there's going to be a lot of demons next door. Demons aren't going to be in heaven. If that's all it takes is just a mental assent to some facts, that, then Jesus taught the wrong stuff when he was here on earth. Jesus never told the crowds, just mentally know that I'm the son of God. No, he came for life change. He came for life change. It's why he sat with the disciples and said, let me show you what your life would look like if you really believe it. Well, Walt, doesn't John 3.16 said that for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him gets eternal life. That's all I could do is believe. Well, yeah, but what is that belief that John writes about there? Is that, is that word gonna fit your definition? Is that word gonna fit your definition and, and override every other chapter that he writes? No, John will write believe. Paul will write faith, Pistuo, pisteos, there are two different words in, in, in the Greek language. What does it mean? I've got it there in your life notes. It means to mentally know and acknowledge something in a way, in a way that it completely changes who you are. Let me read that again. This is extremely important. It means to mentally know and acknowledge something in a way that completely changes who you are. When you believe that he is the son of God, Your life will show it because everything you do will line up with him. You know, our belief in God, if it's not backed up by obedience, is the same type of belief as the demons. You cannot believe that he's the son of God and not do what he says. Jesus says that you're a liar if you you believe that. You can't believe and, and call me Lord and then disregard what I ask you to do. So what's the difference between Christian belief and a demon's belief? Two words, surrender and obedience. Surrender and obedience. Oh, the demons all believe, but they will not surrender and obey. They rebelled. It's why the entire upper room discourse, Jesus sits with his boys and says, if you'll obey my commands, if you'll do what I said, if you'll remain, 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 11 times, if you'll remain in me. So let's look at what love is. Love is a choice backed by action. I've done whole sermons before on this, the uh, world's understanding of love. We use the same word, you know, I love my wife, I love cheeseburgers, okay? Not American cheese, it's got to be cheddar, okay? We use the same word, and trust me, my wife's much more important to me than a cheeseburger. (laughs) Love is a choice backed by action, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, if you've been to a Christian wedding, you'll often hear, you know, hear it there. And, you know, it's been a lot of weddings that I performed and all. You'll hear love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love doesn't envy, love is not easily angered, love isn't jealous, uh, da-da-da. Well, let me tell you something. Paul wasn't writing about relationships. It's a pretty thing to read at a wedding, but Paul's not talking about relationships there. He's talking about love. He's talking about God. It was written for us to understand love and for us to understand how we're supposed to love God and love others. And here's what you're going to understand. Spoiler alert. Love is a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a choice. Many times over the years, I've had couples whose marriages were in turmoil, whose marriages were in trouble, and they come to me and say, you know, he or she will say, well, I just don't love him or her anymore. And I teach them then choose to love them. Love them even though they may be unlovable. But she, I said, love them even though they may be unlovable. That's what the scripture teaches us. For when we were yet sinners, when we were still in rebellion, when we were still treasonous against God, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. Greater love hath no man that he lay down his life for his friends. But, you know, we watch whatever you want. I don't know, Hallmark Channel, Soaps. so now the Christian people won't watch Hallmark Channel. I understand. Whatever, that new channel. We see these ooey-gooey, we sing love songs. and There's nothing wrong with love songs. Bruce, we love those love songs, those songs that we sing. the but, but true love, the love that God's talking about, the agape love that the Bible's talking about here, is way beyond this romantic understanding of love that, that we have from our, from our culture. There are two feelings or emotion in God's definition of love, and one is anger and one is jealousy. And it says love is not easily angered, and love is not jealous. It's a choice. You may be angry, but you still choose to love your spouse. You may be angry at your parents for something that happened that they did or didn't do, but you still choose to love your parents. You may be angry with a boss or 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 something, but you still choose to love that boss. Why? It's in the book. And when the man asked Jesus, what is the one most important? Jesus gave him two love God, love your neighbor. And guess what? Everybody falls under that. Here's God's love He did. He did. He showed us through His actions. He gets to define it. We don't. It's a choice backed by an action. You can't walk out of church and say, I love God and I love people, but I get to define how I love God. And how I love people, and which people I'm going to love, and which God I'm going to love. You don't get to define that. No, we don't get to define Christianity. Jesus does. So John writes this in his first epistle, in 1 John chapter 2. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his command. There it is again. Obedience, take on it. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. I don't know. I'm, I'm from the South, but them's fighting words, okay? You, you call me a liar? No. That's what John's saying. If you you say that I know him, but don't do what he commands, the liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. What did Jesus do when he's hanging on the cross after suffering the most horrendous humiliation that ever happened on the face of the earth? He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He still showed love. John continues in in 1 John 3. He said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's, That's how you love people. That's how you love others. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. And James, Jesus' brother, over in chapter 2 would say, amen, amen. You say you got faith, this guy's got worse. so show me your faith by your work. Show me your faith by your actions. He's the God of love. He gets to define it. We don't. You see, what he's simply getting at here about what love is, is love is a response. Love is a response. Not that you try to to love an invisible God, but you understand how much first he loved you. Your response, then, is Christianity. Your response is your heart. Yes, it involves some feelings, because you say, God, I'm thankful, I'm grateful, You've given me grace. You've given me mercy that I would never deserve. I could never live up to. I could never earn this, but you've given it to me. We're constrained to love God because God really loves us. God really loves you. He chooses to love you, you and me, in spite of ourselves. And this is love. Not that you come every week to, to to church or to chapel, not that you do your religious offerings and your sacrifices, not that you do your daily quiet time or you, you read your Bible. That's all religion. But you need to understand that He knows everything about you. He knows everything you've ever done, where you've been, and He will not, He cannot take His hand, His eyes off of you. Because He made you and He loves you. He really, really likes you as well. And it's truth. And it's, and it's on almost every page of the book. And he will pay a price to buy you back, to redeem you, because he wants you. So is, is it my feeling or is it my obedience? And he says, yes, yes. But, but, but what do I have to do? Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to jump through the hoops. What do I have to do? What do, what do I have to do? I'm trying to draw, uh, jump through the hoops. And I need you to hear this. There is one God, and He is God. He really, really loves you. And your response to knowing that and understanding that is that you will love Him. Yes, with all your heart. Yes, with all your mind. Yes, with all your thoughts and your decisions. With your soul, the core of your being, and with your strength by what you do. If you say you love God by your feelings and your emotions, but you can't back it up with your actions, I'm sorry. You're wrong. And if you think that loving God is just a mental checkoff to a box that I believe these facts about about the Son of God who died and rose again, well, you're no better than the demons. Well, God, do you want my heart or my actions? And he says, yes. In return, you remain in me. You remain in me, and I remain in you. And then this life, this life called being a Christ follower will work. But apart from me, you're going to get it all wrong. He gets to define what loving him and loving others is. What a story. Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Hall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at sv.org min.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.